0: everybody I'm Pax and I'm Hal and this is Brotakus the show where two guys who love anime do a deep dive into what is and isn't worth watching we believe you don't need a major in anime studies to enjoy this wild beautiful and strange art form and we are lucky to have you on this journey with us now there is no Brotakus news corner this week because we have a very special guest mm-hmm. now traditionally Brotakus is a show where we say you don't need a major in anime studies to enjoy it and that's very true but our guest this week is someone very special As a child, Dr. Nona Carter became the first foreigner to attend a public school in Hiroshima. And that connection to Japan found her returning for college at Nanzan University, where she received a major in Asian Studies and went on to graduate school for her PhD in Asian Studies with a specialty in modern Japanese literature. No! I don't mean modern Japanese light novels that you degenerate otaku may be familiar with, like "So I'm a Spider, So huh. What" or "The Villainous Noble Girl Wants to Slim Down Her Husband." <laughs> I mean modern masterpieces from Mishima Yukio and Oe Kenzaburo. Uh, no, no, did I get those? Did I get those names right?
1: Uh, Oe Kenzaburo.
0: <laughs> Oe Kenzaburo. There Is that better? Go. And just so you
2: know, everyone, that's how today's episode is going to (laughs) go. For the majority of the time, we will be fact-checking. So don't gonna,
0: worry. It's <laughs> gonna go and pack. Say something really wrong, really <laughs> Dr. wrong. Dr. Carter we're gonna like, get back on track, guys. Hey, actually, actually. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, uh, Dr. Nona Carter is currently teaching a course on anime at the University mm-hmm. of Buffalo. And a huge shout out to the Asian Studies Program at UB for making this possible. Nona is absolutely brilliant, and we are so lucky to have her. We bring you the real <laughs> anime professor, Dr. Nona Carter. Nona, how are you doing uh,
1: today? I'm doing good. Thank you for that introduction. I think brilliant might be a little bit of an overstatement, but.
0: I do think you're very brilliant, Nona, because from our mm-hmm. previous conversation, one, you pronounce uh, it anime, which sounds like the smart, better, right way to pronounce it, right, unlike right, right. animu or anime. Uh, and the amount of kind of just just uh, knowledge and life perspective that you brought to our previous conversation was really fantastic. And. Starting off the show today, we kind of want to uh, open a open a window to our audience into the life and influences of Dr. Carter, the things that you had um, talked with us about. Could you tell us a little bit about your time uh, growing up in in Hiroshima or spending a few years there? How did that come to be?
1: Um, so my dad actually did research through RERF, which is Radiation Effects Research Foundation. It's a joint U.S. and Japanese government Um Initiative to study the radiation effects of atomic bomb survivors. And so that's how we ended up in Hiroshima And uh, I went to the international school everybody in Hiroshima in the in the early 1990s All the foreigners went to the international school, but I just didn't I don't know. Maybe I didn't fit in. I'm not really sure how to say it, but you um, weren't like other girls I saw the Japanese <laughs> <laughs> I guess not and um I saw the Japanese kids walking home from school and they had the bright red seru backpacks and they were wearing their uniforms and they looked so happy and carefree. And I just just wanted to be with them instead. And so I asked my mom if I could go to a a Japanese elementary school. And she said, you know, I'm not really sure. (laughs) So they hired a translator and they went and we spoke no Japanese at the time. Uh, Not a word. Um, And they said, Well, I guess there's no law against it. And so I ended up going to this Japanese school and I was the first um, foreigner in Hiroshima to do so. And it was an amazing, life changing experience. Um, I showed up on my first day with just a dictionary. And um, kids, when I walked onto the school grounds for the first time, kids swarmed me and started touching my hair and petting me and shouting words that they thought were English at me. It was just um, completely <laughs> a, a new experience. I was definitely an oddity.
0: Well, and so th- this is only really hitting me home now as you're telling me this, but like... I'm, I'm trying to put myself in that situation where going to the international school and having the the teenagers with the the Backstreet Boys posters and you know mm-hmm. finding that distasteful, but like the the idea and the the kind of like confidence or spirit that it takes to decide to go to the local school that is actually really remarkable. So that, cool. Because I think I would be really scared. What what was it about your disposition when you were young that I mean, were you worried about this, or did it, it was just an idea you followed through on?
1: I I just I just wanted to be with those kids and I wasn't really um, a very anxious child. And so I just decided that that's what I wanted and asked the question. And then really, it was my mom who pursued it um, by hiring the translator and and figuring it all out, the logistics. But um, there's just something that really drew me to Japanese. uh, Japan is a very, very wonderful place for children. It's safe. And uh, there's very much a mentality of protecting children, even when they're not your own children. So I just, I guess in, in my own childlike way, I sensed that and I wanted to be part of that community.
0: Very interesting. And so your time in the school, I remember you telling me, that the school is now a uh, like a historical landmark or like a, a museum?
1: Yeah, um, so now it's no longer a school. It, it was a school um, in 1945 when the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and it happened to be the school that is closest to the epicenter of the atomic bomb. And so when I went there, it was still a school, but now it's been turned into a museum. Um, when I was there, you could actually see white shadows on the walls in the basement of Uh, The imprint, the blast was so bright that you would, um, some people who were very close to the epicenter would leave a white shadow imprint where, and then just disintegrate um, or melt um, Mm -hmm. on the spot. But in my school, there was a white shadow imprint of a bunny that was hopping in midair when the bomb was dropped. And you could still see that. (sighs)
0: <sighs> that is such a devastating detail. Yeah. That, yeah. There was writing on That's the walls the of the, the
1: teachers who were writing when it happened, and you see the writing just trail off. It was a, a very historic school to end up at, uh, and totally by coincidence, I was zoned for that school. It wasn't by choice, mm. but
0: yeah. Mm. And what do you think some of the ways that the school like went on to shape you would be? Because that's a, a totally different environment than going to like a modern American school and having your, your, your Lunchables and playing uh, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! at the lunch <laughs> table. Like, what was that like for you? Well,
1: um, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Um, I hmm. made lifelong friends. I experienced a new culture. I learned a new language. Um, I was taken out of American any um, any kind of American school, normal school for, for an American for three whole years. So when I came back to the US, I came back in the middle of middle school. That's a brutal time to be the new kid. Um, yeah. And not only the new kid, but the new kid who is culturally um, different than the other kids. I, I consider myself pretty bicultural. Um, And so uh, that transition was actually pretty rough. And in in some ways, it was rougher coming back to the U.S. as a seventh grader than it was um, going to Japan and having Mm. people pet me like a dog because I had curly hair. Um, So in some ways, that was the bigger transition.
0: Yeah. Hal, you look like you got something brewing.
2: I I can't help but I I can't help it, but, but I see something unfolding, and Nona, I I I want I would love it if you would take this as a compliment. As I am as I am hearing your story, and as I am like watching it sort of unfold in the story that you're telling me, um, I can't help but think like I think I need to call Hayao Miyazaki <laughs> and just have him like start writing a new script, please. Um, because I keep Goro far away from that. Keep Goro, away. Go Goro away. Goro, Goro needs to wait outside while, while, while Hayo's writing this. But like just I, I think that that is such an amazing, incredible story to tell. Um, and I just can't help but think like, wow, this is what like the protagonist of Miyazaki film experiences. This is like, it's got morals. It's got incredible new stories. It's got vibrant characters in a new Strong world. Female protagonist. <laughs> Strong female protagonists. Strong female protagonists. It's got everything. It's all of it. I think yeah. you're the new Miyazaki protagonist. Well, if I get to meet Miyazaki
1: through this deal, I'm all for it. I would
2: love that. Great, uh, I, I have my speed dial. Uh, I'll make sure I text we'll, him after Yeah, the we'll,
0: we'll We'll have our people <laughs> reach yeah. out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, a, a detail that I thought was so interesting that I just kind of wanted to um, share with the audience was that, could you tell us a little bit about the Hiroshima dialect in particular? Because that was such an interesting detail. <laughs> yeah. The so
1: um, when I was a kid, I learned Japanese the way kids learn a language, not through studying grammar and memorizing kanji. Well, I did memorize kanji, but um, not not through studying the grammar and the, the standard Tokyo dialect, the NHK dialect that we learn in mm-hmm. college textbooks here. I actually learned it through speaking to my friends and trying to be cool like the other kids. And so um, I learned a Hiroshima dialect and there's no really good equivalent that I can tell you, but the best thing uh, analogy I can think of is if you saw a Japanese person speaking in a really thick Southern accent, like y'all and eating grits, you know, that kind of thing. um, That is the closest I can come to explaining how odd I was. And so when I... Um, After about a year of being at the school, I started to learn the language and speak. And my friends and I would go out, you know, to the hondori or go to an amusement park. And we'd be talking to each other. And people would stop and stare and just guffaw. They would laugh so hard. I was uh, the laughing stock of Hiroshima because people (laughs) heard me speaking in this super, super country bumpkin accent that... Very few Americans at the time lived in Hiroshima, and if they did, they learned standard Japanese. Mm-hmm. So to hear um, a little kid just going on and on about things in Hiroshima dialect was pretty, pretty funny. Yeah,
0: that is so adorable, and and, and that that opened a whole new world to me because. Um, people always a common anime trope is the character who they who is from Hiroshima or if it's from like the the boonies in Japan who uh, in in the dub they will portray that person as is just kind of like talking like this or like even in another case kind of just adding a Cajun kind of gumbo accent to <laughs> it <Yeah. laughs> and, and, and the whole time they're like I don't understand what you're saying, dude. <laughs> yeah. What's up with your accent? But a, an interesting thing is that in in, in America these kind of like dot. There are more accents than dialects, but right. Hiroshima's is. It is, is. Can you explain to the audience kind of like what the difference is between like the barely standardized Japanese dialects at this point?
1: Right. So it's um, it's a little bit more dramatic than the example I gave of a Japanese person speaking with a southern accent, um, because other than a few words that um, are more southern words, are the words that we speak are pretty much the same um, mm-hmm. in all the different accents of. American English, at least. But in Japan, um, a dialect is, for the most part, you can understand somebody speaking a different dialect, but they do use different words. So it's not just an accent, but it's different. So for example, mm-hmm. um, nani o shiteimasu ka? is what are you doing? Okay, in, in standard, that's what you would learn in a textbook. And in Hiroshima, we would say nani shi So other than the nani, which means what, it's totally different. Right, um, yeah. and somebody may or may not, somebody in Tokyo may or may not understand you, but it would definitely be a challenge.
2: Yeah, you would say that and they'd be like... What?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, uh-huh. definitely a uh-huh. challenge uh-huh. to
0: understand. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, now g- grow, going onward to kind of pursuing this as a uh, a passion in, in university, specifically the focus on, on Japanese literature, I, I've only read a, a few of these kind of like, uh, I guess the books I've read were, mostly kind of like uh, surrealist, like w- with, with like magical realism elements and, and some really like melancholy Japanese novels, but what would you say like defines the, the, the Japanese literature scene, or at least their, their greats in a way that's different than like a, a Dostoevsky or, or a Henry? Hmm,
1: that's a really good question. So my focus is on modern literature and my, my main area of research and interest is wartime and post-war Japan. So that ends, uh, there's no hmm. clear date where that ends, but it basically up maybe through the 60s um, is kind of, from 1945 to 1960 is kind of my very narrow um, scope of what I I love and what draws me to Japanese literature. And during that time they had a genre of literature called Nikutai Bungaku and it it means um, flesh literature. And um, so during wartime, there were very, very strict censors on pretty much everything, but including any kind of um, sensualism, uh, sex, anything like that. And so when the U.S. came and occupied Japan, we also had censorship of Japanese literature, but it was all political censorship. Mm -hmm. So all of that... Um, Other type of censorship was all of a sudden lifted, and so you have this outburst of what they call flesh literature, which is uh, um, extremely Mm -hmm. grotesque, um, extremely embedded into the body and flesh and rotting flesh and sensual flesh and um, everything that was banned during the war, so that you just have this explosion. Of, of that type of literature in Japan. That's not my specific specialty, but if you're asking me one type of genre, um, I would, that's the first that comes to mind.
2: So when you said flesh literature, the first thing that came to mind was, I don't know if you're familiar, the Necronomicon from the Evil Dead. Uh, that is the first thing that came to my mind. Um, but what I'm understanding it to be is just something a little more risque rather than, you know, evil. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say evil. I think one of the things that really draws me to Japanese literature is that the that there is not usually there's not a good and an evil. Um, you can't really speak in those terms. So sure. definitely, I wouldn't say evil, but um, definitely risque. Um, and even, even literature okay. that doesn't belong solidly in the Niktai Bungaku, the, the flesh literature genre, we do see a lot of like, Oi Kenzaburo is my, my absolute favorite uh, post-war Japanese author. And even he's not a flesh literature author, but you can definitely see like this kind of the body and um, it's grotesque in a, in a very specific way and super, super interesting. You also see mm. a lot of struggling with identity a national identity. Obviously, Japan had built their identity on this militaristic notion of, we are a descendant of the emperor, mm-hmm. we're fighting a holy war, um, extremely militaristic, everyone die for the emperor type mentality, and then that shattered. That shattered in two mm-hmm. flashes of light, that shattered. and um, And so, of course, they have to rebuild their identity while being occupied by their former enemy, so that that's a very tricky situation to be in, and you see that reflected in the post war literature as well.
0: Yeah, have you seen a movie called Tetsuo, the Iron Man?
1: No, I have not.
0: Okay, because this was this was something where I this hit me when I was way too young i was like 9 and my my cousin uh my cousin had a, a weird boyfriend who was the first one who showed me princess mononoke so probably set me down on this path because that was my first movie <laughs> okay. but also showed me Tetsuo the Iron Man which is one of these like um 80s japanese cyberpunk body horror films about a a salaryman who who's has this obsession with iron and slowly starts re- replacing parts of himself ship of Faecia style until he's just a, a full undying metal homunculus at the end. And there's this whole genre of like body horror in um, Japanese films as well at that time, as they were kind of exploring that. And I'm kind of curious You were you were talking about the, the cultural identity and like the, the almost supplanting of flesh with technology and, and metal in the post-war boom. W- what's your sense of the kind of like, psychology or zeitgeist that 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 leads to these themes being explored what what were some of the 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 things kind of like going on in the the japanese consciousness that led to this topic being explored
1: well whether it's the consciousness or the subconsciousness i I can't really be sure without Mm. asking the director but i think definitely um in akira but also in a lot of other films um you can see this uh so japan is a is the only post-apocalyptic society, right? And I think we'll get to that Mm -hmm. later when we talk about Akira, but um, so you have that. And then you also have in the post-war period, Japan completely changes its national identity and modernizes and um, the economy and technology grow at the most rapid rate of any country in the world. It's unprecedented how fast Japan went from basically a completely decimated third world country to Japan in the 80s. That that happened over mm-hmm. a course of about 30, 35 years. That's pretty amazing. And so we see yeah. in a lot of films, and I think my students are probably getting sick of me pointing this out because I pointed out in pretty much every film we watch in, in my class. But um, we see the impact of that rapid modernization, definitely in Akira, but also in, in films like Ghost in the Shell, what you just mentioned is so reminiscent of ghost, ghost in the Shell, of the the human body turning to, to a machine, basically. Um, and that question of at what point are you no longer human um, is very reminiscent of Ghost in the Shell. I'd be curious to know um, which came first. But
0: yeah, that's a really good question, and, and and as I'm thinking about like the West, the West is kind of so centralized on this like um, almost like a core egotistical element of our literature about you know who am I, what am I, what can I become, how can I become great? Whether we're talking about uh, uh, Gatsby or or we're talking about uh, any number of um, Hemingway novels, kind of just the the central importance of it. So to have almost this dissociation and like depersonalization. Present in this I think it it definitely speaks to the loss of identity and and I think that Nona was just doing our job for us When you were mentioning Akira, which is a great segue, right? Absolutely. Yeah So how you take the reins you take the reins I'm tossing the ball your way.
2: Thank you. I'm catching. it. I got it So for those of you watching slash listening, um, that's what we're talking about today We're talking about the iconic film one that influenced both Eastern films and Western later Um, Akira
0: (laughs) box I saw the ad in a copy of box. Red motorbike in a red leather jacket. It spoke to my soul. I knew I must have it. AKIRA symmetry, one this perfect, name for his doneness. AKIRA symmetry, one this perfect, name for his doneness. I got the ad from the copy of box I watched the film on a little black box, goggled my eyes, put my mind away. It elocuted what I still can't say. So I scratch in the streets, and I scrap with uh, police, and I scratch a piece. That's sweet. Yeah, scraps in the streets and I scratch with police and I scrap if a piece. That's a better better
2: And let me tell you, it is a wild ride, and it's really gonna wrapped together all these themes of uh, quick modernization, uh, post-apocalyptic warscapes, you know, and just the the landscape of Japan, what it is, what it's become. Uh, and I can't wait to talk about Akira.
0: Absolutely. And this is the most... In the release of Akira, I, I don't think it's even debatable that it's the most important event in anime ever. In all of Japanese animation, mm-hmm. not only was it the thing that... It almost single-handedly led to a, a distribution company be, finding success in the West and starting to disseminate more Japanese films. But it was like the culmination of like these 80s era, like ultra-violence and experimentation in anime that you were seeing with things like Fist of the North Star, the things that were finally going away from early animation that almost looked like mm-hmm. Hanna-Barbera going into Astro Boy as identity starts getting established. And this is the one of the, the strongest and I, I think probably most like unimpeachable artistic statements that I've seen in my life. And so with that, we are gonna do a bit of a game where Hal and I loosely and incorrectly recap the loose plot of Akira and <laughs> Nona step in and stop okay. us when we start feeding lies to the audience. Okay. All right. All right. Are we doing with this a
2: time limit or are we just gonna go for it?
0: We're just gonna go for it, but we're, we're gonna we're gonna sprint through it. All right,
2: ready, ready, ready? Can I start? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you start, Akira. you start Uh the scene is Tokyo. Um it is what it is year in the nineteen hundreds. It is late nineteen
0: hundreds. It is really late nineteen hundreds. It is two thousand nineteen. No, no,
2: no, no, that's that's Neo-Tokyo, right? Yes. Yeah, so guess what, Pax? We start in Japan. We start in Japan, right before World War III happens, and you see an enormous singularity suddenly wipe out Japan and you're like oh god those people probably aren't okay and um so boom flash forward it is now 2019 in Neo Tokyo 30 something years 33 years after the events of World War III and Japan is now a post-apocalyptic warscape so very very cyberpunk um just without all like the weird Bethesda like uh gaming glitches um and you are introduced to the main characters, uh, Canada, Tetsuo, and the rest of the biker gang. They're a bunch of be- bikers. They're going around fighting clowns, not real clowns. The, they're, yeah, they're a gang called the Clowns. Clown posse the, on they're fighting the Joker with Batman. Um, <laughs> <It's> right <there. laughs> they're right there. Uh, and so introduced to the idea that there is a lot of civil unrest in neo-Tokyo. Um, there are a lot of protesters going, um, going around, you know, like, raising the city while, uh, the military police tries to come in and stop them, and you get this weird idea of like, ooh, I don't know who's actually right here, um you're like okay seems like everyone has a, a lot of reasons to be upset but and the police are definitely they're like beating people in the streets shooting off tear gas things are bad and then suddenly oh there's a weird little child here and he looks like he's been drained out like his soul out of his mouth like harry Baby potter in Prisoner of in streets yeah 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 like a dementor got to him like five minutes before the scene yeah. um,
1: Super disturbing. Yes. Yes. The first time I watched it, it was super disturbing. I was
2: like, that's a grown man. But is it? And it was. (laughs) Um, And so you're introduced to them. One of the characters, Tetsuo, accidentally hits the kid with his bike in this altercation with this other gang, but suddenly, oh, an invisible wall. He's psychic? Oh, maybe. Um,
0: Anyway, Pax, take it away. Yeah, and so as this is happening, suddenly, as they hit baby grandpa, Tetsuo is like, Flung off the bike and a bunch of government people come into the shops and like the baby grandpa, there's a threat happening to baby grandpa, we gotta capture baby grandpa. And they all jump out of the helicopters, pick baby grandpa up, and while they're at it, they pick up the homie that that slammed his bike into baby yeah, grandpa. Yeah, poor
2: Tetsuo's on the ground like 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 ow, oh my god.
0: Yeah. Ah, he's very whereas, uncomfortable. Whereas the best of the the rest of the bikers are on their way trying to intervene, they've just, you know, popped zannies after killing the insane clown posse and killing mm-hmm. crazy Jay, and they uh are too late, as Tetsuo is whisked away. And the kind of, taking the, the long thing of it so we're not too beat by beat, uh, kind of like breaking it down, mm-hmm. you discover that baby grandpa has psychic powers, mm-hmm. and there are several other baby grandpas, and a baby grandma, and one <laughs> baby grandma is in a psychic floating wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And these are all a long procession of sort of uh, psychic experience uh, experiments to unlock the latent psionic human potential, in these folks, and they're they're kind of being experimented and, and fed substances and and tested in a way that uh, Kanye West's entire uh, stronger music video is a full Akira ripoff. Yes, <laughs> um, uh, and so eventually they discover that not only does Tetsuo kind of have these latent psychic abilities, but that he is the chosen one. <laughs> I mean, he's super. He has super latent psychic abilities, and through a bunch of horrendous uh, kind of like nightmare escapes and and, and strange uh, encounters with. The, the baby grandpas, uh, he unlocks more and more and more of his, his psychic energy, and you start hearing the whispers of someone who had similar psychic powers called Akira. I'll take it from here
2: <laughs> right and everyone's like you hear the name akira throughout the film like not from like canada who's like the biker friend who doesn't have any powers but like he's super funny and that's his bit um and, you hear like
0: somehow at the end he has like a one-on-one bazooka battle yeah he's like he like, like, like <laughs> but anyway 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 so so
2: we get like government officials we got like a colonel who's supposedly in charge of the whole military opera- operation in neo tokyo and everyone's like hey what about akira has anyone heard about akira and he's like nope i haven't said a word no nope. lips are sealed akira does doesn't exist, not a thing, and
0: fake news. I've never fake heard. Fake news, no Akira never mattered. Me. Um, uh,
2: so so <laughs> so. Um, Tetsuo starts having images. He's like, oh my god, Akira, Akira, who is that? Who is that? I gotta go find him. And so, um, as, essentially, Tetsuo, his psychic like, abilities blow up. He mulches some people, and he walks into a room. And I mean mulches. I mean literally, like pff, disintegrates them like a water balloon. Um yeah it, it's crazy yeah goes in and he meets the baby grandpas again and they're just they accidentally tell him hey this is where akira was or is we don't know and he's just like okay cool and then he flies away because he can do that all of a sudden and then he goes he finds akira as canada oh, the baby sh- grandpa's
0: try to stop him but they they have they like do? too much arthritis yeah 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 he kind of yeah, has like a they, brief psychic battle they kind of like
2: instigate here. the situation but then they're like oh i think we goofed i think we messed up
0: i yeah uh, it was just a prank bro don't unlock akira (laughs) destroy the city don't do it and then he's like too bad
2: yeah you have this idea everyone like the colonel and the baby grandpas all have this idea like oh he's gonna go wake up akira and if he does that he's gonna blow up tokyo
0: again and you're like halfway point nona have we gotten anything super (laughs) wrong
1: (laughs) well um the baby grandpas are called espers the espers okay yeah, oh, ESP or ESPers. The
2: ESP-ers. Uh, uh, but yeah, they, uh, I think
1: baby grandpa's yes. a better word. Actually, that's what they look like. So I like can I like we your t-shirts? analysis that, better. We can it's, it. it's much better than ESPers.
2: Okay, great. We're gonna stick with great. We're gonna stick we'll with baby grandpas. On,
0: we'll get those on t-shirts along with the really cool red jackets that they have with the pill on the back that says. Yes. What is it? It says like uh, good for health, <laughs> bad for education. I, I think. Like, like
2: fashion the show so cool. I don't know. There's like graffiti all over the walls of Neo Tokyo that are like summer yeah. in Japanese, summer in English. Um so I'll be like, oh Japanese, oh that's enough bomb in English. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so like yeah. which which is funny. But anyway, Tetsuo flies out, Canada goes out, tries to stop him because Tetsuo's now going around and murdering people with the psychic powers because he's a depressed boy he's got a lot of like repressed rage inside him and suddenly he has the power of a god and he can do anything he wants with it so he goes yeah, he's just li- like
0: full Joaquin Phoenix Joker just yeah going just like-, like I don't
2: care blowing people up uh the army tries to stop him they can't and then there's a fight between Canada and Tetsuo anyway long story short I won't tell you the whole story he meets yes. Akira he meets Akira
0: and we will we will kind of get to those devastating reveals later. Yes. I think that, that yeah. that's, a, that's a good kind of overview. Yes. Some crazy post-apocalyptic Neo-Tokyo, the two young teens who are trying to intervene, and then the one teenage girl who looks exactly like <laughs> <yeah>. Exactly <laughs> like kind of. That. And, and there would
2: be moments where I'm watching and I was like, how can I get that jacket yeah. on? Oh,
0: that's not him. That's not him. Nope. Yeah. Um, and, and something that we'll kind of unpack is that around like, I'd say around 40 minutes into the movie, it's not uncommon for people who are watching Akira for the first time to kind of get a little overwhelmed by the many plot threads. Do you think that's fair to say?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And, and so there's a reason for that. And so before we dig into kind of some of the themes of this this legendary movie, which has earned its status in every possible way, we're going to kind of talk about some of the production miracles behind it and why this really was a foundational historical thing. And so um, uh, Akira itself it was directed by Katsuhiro Otomo. Am I saying that right? Otomo. Otomo. <laughs> <laughs> and he uh, started as the mangaka for his series Akira, which was being published in, I believe, um, uh, Young Jump Weekly, uh, if if I'm remembering that correctly. And so it's a bit of a Game of Thrones situation where the first volume or two were out, but he didn't finish the series in its sixth volume until, I believe, um, the early... 1990s, maybe even 1990 itself. But so, midway through, the film Akira was created, and the whole plot is kind of it's the first half of the first volume uh-huh. and the last half of the sixth volume with kind of just like a boom, hydraulic press of like some of these really important things in it like the um, there's the old kind of like doom caller man who is on the palaquin that gets uh, kind of like hauled around the city uh-huh. who has maybe like 10 seconds of screen time and yeah like two scenes but he is a unbelievably important character in the manga he has his whole story same thing with the revolutionaries I mean a coup happens in the movie and it happens in like maybe like 10 seconds the colonel's just <laughs> Like, nope, uh, government's mine now. Sorry, gang. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the thing. Just,
2: They're like, hey, uh, Colonel, uh, you haven't done a very good job. We're going to need you to step down. And he's like, okay, but, and he looks around at the soldiers. And he's like, okay, but what if I don't? <laughs> just shoot him. Yeah, yeah and, the, yeah. and <laughs> all the soldiers are just like, that's a good point. What if he doesn't? <laughs> whoa. Yeah, whoa. Like, yeah, and then they just are like, okay. He yeah. just says, and in so, Japanese,
1: he just says, ute. That just means shoot him. He says it so casually. Like, Ute. Yeah.
0: And the guy is just like, alright.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he shoots one person and then coos over.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. the the oh my goodness, the the I felt so sickened and shook by the the depiction of firearms mm-hmm. in this. Like it's really brutal. Um yeah. The, yeah, and actually just kind of talking about this before we get too granular. Um, Nona, what, when you first saw Akira, what, what was your kind of just immediate reaction to the movie? You
1: know, I really wish I could remember. I saw it so long ago, and I've watched it so many times since my first time that I can't mm-hmm. remember my, my first immediate response. But if I were to guess, I, um, I've shown this, I've taught the anime class about five times now. So I've shown this five times to students, and many of them, it's their first time mm-hmm. watching it. And I think the overwhelming mm-hmm. reaction is confusion because it is such a Mm. fast pace. The plot is so dense, there's so many different characters. Um, I think that most people feel pretty confused um, when they first watch it. Odd as well, completely in awe of this amazing work of art that is Akira, Mm -hmm. but um, also confused. But I think that's why it merits a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th watch,
2: right? Oh yeah, I'm gonna watch it again tonight.
1: I, I yeah, see new things every time well, I watch like, it. I've watched it maybe six times now, and and I see new things every time. It's pretty incredible.
0: I I almost get overwhelmed by yeah. some of the group scenes in it because mm-hmm. the the kind of to, to bring a little of the granularity in. Akira is animated on the ones. Um. So so. Animation is often broken down. into animated on ones and twos. So um, if you're animating on the ones, it kind of breaks down to uh, being 24 frames a second. And if you're animating on the twos, it's effectively 12 frames per second. So like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is an interesting blend of these where the, the city itself is is animated oh, on the ones, that. but the characters are, yeah, it's really good. But the characters mm-hmm. are animated on the twos to give them that kind of like stop motion vibe. Um, mm-hmm. Shows like, or, or movies like Wallace and Gromit are all animated on the twos to have mm-hmm. that kind of... Um, great uh uh, yeah that that just it's aesthetic stilted walk and something interesting i learned is that um we're kind of past the era of, of all stop motion being like really physically manipulated granularly by individual artists but that studio that makes those movies still animates and puts on like fake Traces of fingerprints onto the models to kind of aesthetically emulate the huh, sense that they're being touched and manipulated, which yeah. is just really cool to me. But so, Akira is all animated on the ones, and it's because it um, it had a a mm-hmm. unbelievable budget at the time, which is eight yeah. to eleven billion yen, which was I think ten times more than the last uh, highest budget um, film uh, in Japan, which was Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind, um, animated at least, which. Interestingly, in what did you what, what was what was how did you what did you call Nausicaa? Nausicaa. There's a totally different Nausicaa. Nausicaa. Uh, name for it. Yeah. Nausicaa. 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 Um, okay. And. In America, it actually didn't debut as Nausicaä in the Valley of the Wind. <laughs> it debuted as Warriors of the Wind, because this was at a time where we didn't trust uh, Japanese animation, and they added characters that literally didn't exist in the movie onto the poster wielding lightsabers to try to, like, make people watch it, and they cut, like, 20 minutes of time out. What? It's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. But Akira is animated all on the ones. Its frame rate is so buttery smooth that when i saw someone in the streets being torn apart by like um the the the, the hail of gunfire i think by the the police or military mm-hmm. i yeah. felt so viscerally sick and upset by it
2: because it was With. so the physics in it were unreal i was like watching yeah. and i was going to say the same thing um because i no it no, for for you don't know this i'm like a huge uh-huh. fight junkie i love watching like fight scenes in like shonen and a lot of different anime i just love watching animated combat and for this, the physics behind the gunfire, behind like, uh, physical strikes, um, like, like when the biker gangs are fighting each other with pipes and things like that, yeah. or like punching each other. I'm like, ooh, ow. I just, I couldn't help but feel the force behind each blow. And that, even with the hail of gunfire, like you said, like a hundred shots rang out in maybe three seconds. And you saw each one hit, mm-hmm. which for, for hand drawn animation, that's, unreal. That's unreal. Um, Yeah, it's
1: it's really incredible. Um, That's why Akira has a place in anime history as well as art history because it's the the detail in this show is just absolutely incredible. Um, There's actually a a YouTube video that illustrates the many layers. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I showed it in my class, but that might be a good one to link to um, because it shows uh, in just a, in a six seconds scene, it shows you the de- the amount of sheer detail that went into uh, drawing it is just absolutely incredible. And just for a point of reference, um, a, a show like Dragon Ball Z is seven frames per second. Oh,
2: I believe that. As
1: opposed to <laughs> As opposed to the 24 of Akira. So that just gives you a, oh. a sense of how much more detailed and smooth Akira is compared to pop culture anime.
2: If only every... Anime were yeah. were composed of like twenty four frames a second. Yeah. yeah, just oh my, the value would skyrocket. It would the be value, insane. the stonks, the stonks, the stonks, of it. be like, <laughs> way up. <laughs>
0: value just way yeah, up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Tetsuo would be Goku in a fight. I'm sorry to say that. Tetsuo <laughs> totally
2: right. would annihilate
0: him. <laughs> yeah, Goku um, wouldn't even know what's happening. Yeah. Now, now, no no I want to ask because a, a big thing here is always like subs versus dubs. It it. I feel like it's less contentious nowadays because people are kind of just more like watch what you'd like. But um, have you seen the movie both subtitled and th- with an English dub?
1: No, that's heresy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, have not, uh. I,
1: I, I do not watch anime in dub. And um, if it, I think in my class, I was forced to show something dubbed once because there was Mm. just no other option and I cut it from the class after that because I just, (laughs) I can't, I can't do it. I'm much more a fan of sub because there's so much Mm. you lose, so much Mm -hmm. that you lose in a dubbed.
2: So, so Nona, you've never, have you ever heard of the anime uh, Ghost Stories?
1: I've heard of it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The ghost, ghost, wait, what'd you say?
2: Ghost Stories? Ghost
1: Stories? I think so.
2: Okay. If you, if you hate English dubs, and you want to have a bad time no.
0: <laughs> definitely go check that out so to, to kind of explain why it was it, it's this legendary series where it, it happened once and never happened again essentially the distribution company in japan um the, the the anime flopped worse than they thought it would and they already had a distribution agreement so they just told the the dubbing studio in america uh hey just whatever you can do not even to make a profit just break even i need you to and get this might out. be why so i've heard of it team, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And so the whole voice team of really talented voice actors came in and they got like a loose plot outline. But otherwise, they all came into the studio every day and improvised the entire oh, wow. show. And it is it is so offensive. It is <laughs> ridiculous. It's it's like watching a YouTube parody. It inspired yeah. a lot of these like fan dubs online. But uh yeah, uh, that would be a good first dub. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, listeners, uh, the 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 doctor has spoken. The yep. anime professor has issued the edict. Get away from dubs. Get away um, from dubs. No more yeah. dubs. Yeah. And in, in Akira, I think that that's extra good advice because Akira was, and this is a weird thing to say, it was animated too well for dubs to even work with mm-hmm. it. And what I mean by that is like normal, normal uh, anime. <laughs> um, the way that the mouth flaps are animated is that they do the choreography and the storyboarding they draw the scenes and then the the mouths are kind of Mm -hmm. uh, filled in afterwards so the uh, voice actors match their mouth flaps to the mouth flaps that they add on and they can get a little leeway of like redoing it but in order for that to work the heads need to remain really static and so, so that you can kind of like zoom in on the mouth flaps. And that's why even some American dubs are of pretty high quality because they're doing a similar thing post hoc. But in Akira, the all of the voice lines are recorded before the movie even started like getting fully produced which is why you get this insane fidelity of their faces constantly like changing perspective mm-hmm. and like lines mm-hmm. and 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 just corners on their face uh, reacting to the words they're saying and it's perfectly done because they're literally matching mm-hmm. it flawlessly to the Japanese but it makes it even more awkward when the English dub is forced on that. I, I can imagine
1: keep... I can imagine yeah,
0: yeah. and so um, with that uh, before we do kind of a talk about the themes can you, Talk with us, Nona, about the influence of Akira in the West. Like, why it has become so legendary and foundational to the field as a whole.
1: Well, Akira really ushered in the second wave of anime um, in the West, and and had a huge impact on fandom and the and the Western and particularly American fan base. Um, it was hugely kind of a cult favorite um, in the US, and because of that, if you um, listen to interviews of professors of anime now, many of them who were maybe young adults when Akira came out, um, will say Akira was the impetus for me taking this Mm. life path. I mean, it really deeply impacted Mm. a lot of people. And so much so that in 1993, um, images from Akira actually appeared on a wall in Sarajevo. as icons Mm. of political resistance. And that's really amazing if you stop to think of it because in no other anime would it have been feasible or even comprehensible that uh, an anime could carry such political weight. It's only from Mm. Akira, only since Akira, the anime could carry such political weight as to be be, um, shown on a side of such resistance and a symbol of resistance like that. So it's not just in the U.S. I mean, Akira was a worldwide sensation, and it also did a lot in Japan in the Japanese anime industry. The 1980s was kind of a low point in the Japanese anime industry, and Akira revised it, uh, revitalized it, I mean. Um, So it it was very important abroad and in in Japan, hugely impactful.
2: Were there, when you look at anime now, or anime now, do you ever like look at it and think, oh, that's probably influenced by Akira. Like having seen having seen the film, having like taken a look at all the themes and like, do you ever see films kind of being like, we'll take some of that, just cherry picking moments uh, for themselves. Have you ever seen that?
1: Definitely. And not just in anime, um, Blade Runner, Matrix, Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, any kind of um, cyberpunk dystopian film, I think has something from Akira in it. I would go yeah. so far as to say that. It's hugely influential, not just in in anime, but also in
2: Hollywood. That sounds absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Having seen it now and just like thinking about all the films that I loved, because I loved watching those films as a kid, uh-huh. like The Matrix, Blade Runner, all those. And having watched this, it really brought me back to being a kid and being like, whoa, this is the kind of thing that made me think like, oh, my God, like this world is enormous. I don't need to see all of it. It's incredible. And I know it's there. Yeah. Um, and so that's so cool that that this film was sort of the impetus for all these other films succeeding later and creating that sense of
0: awe mm-hmm. in their audience. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of have this question for later about like where anime has headed since that I think will be one of the kind of the last things we touched on. But mm-hmm. I think one of the the ironies of and, and, and maybe mild tragedies is, is you were talking about these professors of anime who got into this and I think that there was probably a sense that this is a, a new landmark uh, uh, in Japanese culture and animation from which things are only going to grow and progress and, you know, imagine where we'll go from here and yet between the
1: we'll go to moe yeah, we'll go
0: to moe and and okay. yeah.
1: how did that happen i i just don't know but
0: <laughs> we'll have to do a full episode on like the fall of anime because like you know we, we want to say akira's influential but there's no scene in it where tetsuo grows breasts and becomes a cat girl like,
2: yeah, no, yeah.
0: <laughs> and so and so it's it's very interesting following that but so going from the influence to the kind of like deep dive the conception of the future in akira so uh you had shared something with me that that is just it's the story has literally lived in my head every day i've thought about this since we last talked about and, and i don't know if you're comfortable sharing it but the the old woman who who had mm. approached you mm-hmm. kind of thanking you by by the by the war memorial i think it was or the bathhouse. oh yes
1: Mm-hmm. um So this was when I was in Japan uh, in college, actually. Um, And I was in a in a bathhouse in the onsen. So for those of you who don't know, Japanese do communal bathing. Um, And I was just sitting on my little stool showering before getting into the communal tub. And this really old woman, her back was is was bent almost at a 90 degree angle. She must have been in her 90s. Um, Definitely born in the pre-war period. She came up to me and just bowed and bowed and, and was saying how grateful she was. And then she just picked up a sponge and started scrubbing my back while she talked about how grateful she was. And um, I think I talked about this in the context of, uh, of dialects before she was speaking yeah. in a pre-war dialect. And I, I could understand the gist of what she was saying, but I couldn't understand everything she was saying. Cause it was such a different um, Japanese that she was speaking
0: and when you describe this to me this at first I'm, I'm thinking like oh this is a this is a mad person like what 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 kind of psychosis is going on i totally didn't understand why this was happening but when you kind of told me the reason yeah. it just collapsed my entire universe that helped me understand everything so much more so
1: um during japan in the 19 late 30s and, and 40s you have this building militarism and everybody um on board for th- this uh in World War II, basically, you have starvation, poverty, um, orphaned children was a huge problem. Uh, people, uh, you know, violence, almost every family lost someone in the war. I mean, by the end of the war, the Japanese were so desperate that you have things like kamikaze pilots who are sent on um, suicide missions, which are tactically and practically extremely ineffective, but that's how desperate Japan was. All but five cities had been decimated in, um, in by 1945 when Japan officially surrendered. So Japan was in ruins uh, pretty much in 1945. And the way that the Japanese treated their colonizers um, in China, Korea, and other parts of Asia was brutal. It was uh, extremely violent, lots of rape, lots of pillaging. It was very, very brutal. And so when Japan, when the occupation began and the American occupiers started landing in Japan, they expected that same treatment. And that's not how it happened. And I'm not I'm not saying this in an American pride, like, yay America kind of way, because there were other issues with the it's occupation. The, it's mm-hmm. the
0: lowest possible bar to yes, fear. Yes, I mean, there right, were other right. issues
1: with the occupation, political issues, but the treatment of the populace, the Japanese populace was very humane um, for the most part on the p- part of um, the occupiers. And that is something that I think people who were alive at the time, were not expecting and really left a deep um for some of them obviously I can't speak for all of them but left a deep sense of gratitude and I and I think that that woman um that's what she was expressing when she was thanking me in the bathhouse um we expected mm. you to come rape pillage and murder instead you handed out candy and thank you thank you thank you um that
0: yeah you said that that um she said when she was a girl one of the gi's gave her candy right?
1: yeah yeah that's a common um there's a very famous image of that if you if you google search it um, of a gi passing out candy it's one of the wow. iconic images of the occupation
0: so and again i
1: want to reiterate that there were other problems it wasn't just this you know easy smooth Transition that happened, but in that particular way, I think the occupation did leave um, Japanese citizens with a sense of gratitude, at least at least some, if not most.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. so bouncing off of that, you previously described Japan as the first post-apocalyptic society, mm-hmm. and I want you to kind of explain that, that that concept to us because that I think is is critical to understanding Akira.
1: Well, Japan is the only country that has been the victim of not just one, but two nuclear bombs. Um, the Japanese in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the ones who survived, are the only people on earth who can, who have witnessed the entire, their entire world, basically. I mean, not obviously it wasn't the world, but it was their world disintegrate. In a flash, mm-hmm. literally, like near the epicenter, people just disintegrated. It was so the flash was so bright, um, and so that those are Nagasaki and Hiroshima are apocalyptic events in history, and Japan is the only country where um, that has survived two apocalyptic events, and so this is bound to have an impact on their narratives, their apocalyptic narratives that have come
2: since
0: mm-hmm. World War II. For sure. I see the gears turning
2: well I mean I, I mean of course it would of course it would just looking at how you know the U.S. responded to 9-11 mm-hmm. um that is something that we you know never forget that's something that we refer to again and again and again because it was a tragedy um and, and so I Japan I, that I guess, had to be
0: like what 50,000 9 just, just like, two
2: entire cities just mm-hmm. gone um which is inconceivable to me personally um but but with that kind of experience of course it would affect their stories of course it would affect the way that they that they interact with the world afterwards um but i i personally have never put that much thought into it you know because it happened before my time so it's it's very interesting to to hear you say yeah
1: i think the atomic bombs left an indelible mark on japanese uh literature and and culture and cinema
0: of course
2: absolutely mm-hmm.
0: and so seeing the see, seeing the bombs going off at the beginning of the movie and then kind of bookending with this huge destruction um you i, I again dr carter has just dropped so many gems into my <laughs> mind we're gonna be far better at processing these things in the future um i hadn't considered that the idea of western mm-hmm. apocalypse narratives are so Absolutely. biblically inspired. It's all kind of like drawn yeah. from the book of revelations that to see a movie that almost, gosh, I don't want to say like celebrates destruction, but it, it has a very interesting relationship. It with does it.
1: Yeah. in a way, in a very grotesque way, um, celebrate destruction. I think so Western apocalyptic um, narratives tend to focus on the, the fight between good and evil.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: this all comes from Judeo-Christian mythology. Um, it's all founded in that. Um, so you, you, you typically will have a, a good character, um, who makes a personal sacrifice at the end to save the world. That's, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to over generalize. Of course, there's a lot of variety as well, but that's typically the, the Western narrative, which again, comes from the Judeo-Christian stories that, that we learn. Um, But in Japan, um, you don't have that same uh, Judeo-Christian foundation. And um, you have instead, for example, in Buddhism, in Japanese medieval Buddhism, Mm. um, you have the concept of mappo, which means, I think it's translated into English as the latter days of the law or something like that. But it's this notion of um, impermanence, and that that notion of impermanence is really central to, to Japanese Buddhism and very important um, to Buddhist philosophy. So also in um, ancient Japanese literature, you see a literary element called aware, which is it looks like aware if you're if you write it out in English. But aware also celebrates impermanence. It um, it's why the cherry blossoms are so so special and so important in Japan, they only last two weeks. Okay, so this idea that mm. everything ends and that's beautiful. It's a very different yeah. um, foundation for understanding endings, right? Um, so yeah, you mm. have not only the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki that are informing this narrative, but you also have Buddhism, um, concepts of impermanence and even ancient literary aesthetics that celebrate um, the ending of things and and. And an ending implies a rebirth. So it's not just a negative thing. We think of apocalypse as a negative thing. Apocalypse is the end of the world. That's Mm -hmm. horrible, right? But in a Japanese Mm -hmm. context, it also implies reincarnation or rebirth as something else, Mm -hmm. hopefully. Um, And in Akira, it's implied evolutionarily, you get better. (laughs) Um, We evolve to be better, Um, but not necessarily.
2: Um, Yeah. That actually brings up a question that I wanted to ask you. Um just given the Judeo-Christian belief of like the the one the chosen one that will make a personal sacrifice to save the world, to save humanity. Um that usually is the protag, the protagonist. Um however in cool a <laughs> the protag I'm here. Um
0: <laughs> I'm cowabunga with it. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. Um but I wanted to ask you Nona, uh in your opinion because to me I'm not entirely sure Who's the protagonist in Akira? So
1: um, I would definitely say Tetsuo is, I mean, that's my opinion. Um, Okay. I I could see where there would be room for disagreement there. But um, because the Mm -hmm. interpretations that I find the most fascinating revolve around Tetsuo, um, he, uh, when we talk about um, Akira as a story of teenage angst and of growing um, as if we talk about Akira's evolution, if we talk about Akira's allegory for Japan, all of those different interpretive um, elements revolve around the character of Tetsuo. So um, I would say Tetsuo, mm-hmm. but the reason that he doesn't jump out at you as the protagonist is because he's an antihero. He's not what we expect, right? We want mm-hmm. our lovely little story wrapped in a box mm-hmm. with a bow on it, and we want it all contained and we want it all to be explained to us. Right, and Akira is not that. It's a it's a nihilistic mm-hmm. mess, right? But te, so te, we want mm-hmm. the hero who we can latch onto as the good force in the film. And Tetsuo is not that. Um, but I, I I would say he he probably is the protagonist, yeah. just not a very good, not a not a hero protagonist. He's an anti-hero protagonist.
2: Ooh. Yeah. Right. And that was something I really loved about it because I found myself, at first, I was obviously rooting for Tetsuo. It was like, yeah, get him, Tetsuo. You got new power. You gotta <laughs> do some great <laughs> things. You're like, yeah, the heck <laughs> of those soldiers. Goodbye. Goodbye. And then he was like, oh, my friends? Gone. Oh, innocent people? Them too. And I was like, oh, hang on. Um, but, but it, it struck true to me that felt more true because I'm not going to lie. When I was a little kid, or a little kid, when I was introduced to the concept of psychic powers in a science fiction novel and or film, I was like, oh yeah, I'd 100% (sighs) flip a car at some point. Like, yeah, I would absolutely do something thoughtless like that if I could. But with a character that has that sort of um, internal uh, angst and pain inside of them and who suddenly is given this immense power in a period of days um, and is not taught how to use them, is not given any sort of You know, he's raised in a biker gang. Like, he's had a rough past. Um, It all made sense why he would respond the way he did to suddenly having, from having no agency to being able to do anything he wanted. Um, And to hell with everyone who wanted to get into his way. Um, And so I thought that was, when I was watching, I was like, is Tetsuo the protagonist? I wasn't really sure because... At first I thought he was, but then I was like, oh, maybe he's the villain. But I guess what you are saying is that those two things are not um, interchangeable. Like, you can be the protagonist and also sort of be a villain.
1: Yeah. You
2: yeah. know? So what we're saying you, is... Accurate. I think you
1: would really like some modern Japanese literature. I'll, I'll recommend some to you Ooh, at the please? end. Oh,
2: please. Oh, I'm so excited. But if you,
1: if you are intrigued by this kind of villain protagonist, or not even... I don't, I don't know if villain's the right word, but the anti-hero protagonist, then I... Mm. Um You like some modern Japanese literature?
0: Oh, nice, man. nice. Oh man, oh, su- such as uh, such as "So I'm a Spider, So What," or yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. girl who wants to slim down her husband. <laughs> 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 Uh, but but so um I, I remember it, it I I'm such a, a pleb I hadn't even considered Tetsuo as the protagonist I guess I just wasn't thinking about it too much but Kaneda does kind of suck like he really um he's yeah. a dummy he's a yeah. dum dum he uh, the, he's the a himbo for sure yeah like when he crashes the motorcycle just into the wall at the end mm-hmm. rather than like like as an act of defiance
2: yeah I'm and sending a- him his bike and I was like well, you could
0: have used that but that's fine yeah yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> like, and then sure. And then when he comes out for, like, the the bazooka battle, I think that that textually maybe the best reading of this is that, like, just part of of Tetsuo did not want to kill Kaneda, really. Like, maybe there, I think there was kind of still playing this stuff out because he never really chose to, like, wave the hand and disintegrate. At at, at least that's my, my, my reading at the end. But we talk about, you know, what is Kaneda... And Tetsuo represent, and I think that Kanada feels like less rich in terms of some of the forces that you can attribute to him. I think that he, he is an interesting character that exists, but Tetsuo literally is, is acting so much out of pain and has such, for someone who, who chooses to, you know, gank all of Neo Tokyo, he doesn't really have autonomy over himself. These forces are kind of so out of his control that as he's almost like possessed by, by, by like the, the the sucker of this this power at the end i mean he literally turns into baby yeah. <laughs> like he turns back into bebe after he becomes the giant Big bebe yeah after he turn after the metal kind of takes over and there's that kind of um, you know body horror element and then he turns into the giant testicle but then his final form <laughs> is bebe <laughs> as as he's screaming out um he's screaming out for Kanada yeah. to help him and and everything is is new again and so at this point we're, we're, we're basically we're we're spoiling all of Akira but I mean the the kind of plot elements and the fact that it's this nihilistic thing I think is so much less important than the pure visceral journey that it, it takes you through because I don't think any details that we could talk about in the plot could really overwhelm just the yeah. impact it That's that's, as,
2: that's you know? the thing we're describing the film but we can't spoil the experience of you watching it. You, you're not going to be able to picture what we're telling you unless we've unless you've already seen the film. Right. Go watch the film. <laughs> yeah.
0: I Go mean, watch
1: it numerous times.
0: Yes. Absolutely. This could probably be. I think. I wonder how many like hour long podcast episodes you need to like really say everything there is to say about Akira. Oh, because gosh. I would guess maybe twelve minimum. Like yeah. I, I mean, I, and even then I don't know. Um. So so talking about the titled character though, Akira. What is Akira? There gets to be a certain moment where you're just led to believe that this is some kid who's being kept in a freezer somewhere so he doesn't explode the city a second time. Mm -hmm. But how? what do you see when they finally bring out Akira? So that's
2: exactly what I was expecting. I was expecting, um, you know, Tetsuo to open up the safe where Akira is being kept. And I'm like, well, it's kind of weird that he's being kept in a freezer, but... (laughs) But I don't know, maybe psychic powers protect you from getting chilly? Oh. Um, and so, like, Tetsuo breaks it apart and he's looking in and he sees all these jars. And he's like, uh, okay, okay, what is this? And then the colonel comes out and he's like, yep, that's Akira right there. That's his brainstem. Those are his optical nerves. Uh, might be his eardrums over there. I think that's his tummy. Yeah, we disassembled him after he uh, blew up the city. Uh, so that, you know, future generations would be able to study him, but uh, yeah, he did. Uh-huh. Mm. He did. And Tetsu was just like, oh, whatever, I I guess. But it, it was like this moment of, oh, I was expecting this enormous explosion to occur, like unleashing the ultimate evil like you would in a Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Um, but no, it was just, just a bunch of jars with, like, nerves in them, and, and it was like such a... It, it became clear to me that Akira was more, at least throughout the, the journey of the film, Akira was more of like an idea than he was an actual person. Um, he was a person, yes, but, you know, the resistance movement that sparked up around the name Akira, how this Lord Akira would rise up and, and take back the city of New Tokyo, and not just take back the city of New Tokyo, but like cleanse it in a sacred flame, yeah. uh, destroying all the non-believers and purifying the flesh. Um, basically, it was even the people who were s- who believed in that doctrine of, like, Lord Rockery is going to come back and save us all. It wasn't like, hey, he's going to save us all and, like, we're going to live happily ever after. He's saying, no, 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 no. He's going to wipe the slate clean. Burned earth, nothing left, and that is better. Um, and so to find out, oh, it's just a bunch of brain pieces in some jars was actually almost more powerful because I was like, oh, that was a little letdown. And then it turns out that Tetsuo is like, you know. Then you then you're left with the question like, oh, what was this all about? Oh, what is Tetsuo now? Is he Akira now? Um, just like all these different questions that pop up, and you don't get an answer. You don't. You have no idea what Akira is at the end. You just know that at some point he was a person. He had incredible psychic abilities. He taught the little grandpa, uh, baby grandpas, uh, how to use their psychic abilities. Like sort of mentored them in that way. But
1: I think he was actually one of them. Was he? He was one of the espers, but he was just, he was their cohort, but he had, for some reason, he had um, stronger innate abilities and his powers took off, um, and, and, um, ended up destroying Tokyo, but he was one of their friends. And you see in a flashback near the end of the movie of them talking to him, Mm -hmm. um, and remembering the facility when, where they were being trained to be espers
0: Mm -hmm. because yeah he was the the 28th of of them i think number 28 was i think his number
2: Um, right and the reason that the the army took tetsuo to begin with the reason they took him was because they were like oh he has some strong latin abilities like uh they put on their little power level scouters and they scanned him and they were like oh my god his power level's insane and um (laughs) and they uh they did notice that like this whole time one of the scientists is like referring to a sort of uh, holographic image of what Akira's, like, brainwaves looked like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of, like, a scale of what his power was. And then he just noticed, like, hey, Tetsuo looks kind of similar. It's not exactly the same, but it looks like it might become the same eventually. Let's just keep an eye on it. Um,
0: <laughs> and then they're like, let's keep an eye on it. Like, what the <laughs> side, this is like, whoa, it looks pretty Akira-ish. Like, it's like, ah! Like, but he, but her- here's the thing. The
2: colonel does say... Hey, uh, can you control this? Can you can is this going to be an issue? And I want you to tell me right now. And the doctor's just like, Oh, it'll be fine. Trust me, bro. I just want to keep I just wanna keep an eye on him. And he's just like, Okay, well, if it gets to be a problem, I want you to shoot him immediately. Kill him immediately if you think at any point this could be an issue I was just like all right Colonel covering your tracks come on you'd make it through a scary movie absolutely Colonel's not the one that like checks out the dark the scary noises in the dark room or in the forest he's the one that's like yeah I think I'm just gonna leave and like call for backup that is the (laughs) Colonel and um, and like that was why they took him because they thought like oh he could be the next Akira you know the one that leveled Tokyo 33 years ago (laughs) That's a good thing, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was just oh, kind of like, gosh. okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think that
1: that notion of uncontrollable power is really central to the film. And the idea that yes. it's in our human nature. The scientist could have shut him down, but he didn't because of curiosity, a basic human trait, right? He wanted to learn more. His um, He just couldn't... Um, he couldn't shut him down because he was... Uh, so curious and wanted to know more. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I think there's a there's definitely a critique here of human nature okay. um, and how our curiosity will be the end of us, right? I mean,
2: yeah, yeah. like Pandora's box.
1: Um, you know, like we already said earlier in the podcast, Japan at this time is rapidly modernizing, uh, rapidly um, advancing technologically and economically. Um, so, you know, Otomo, is he sending a warning? You know, we, we can't let, uh, get, let this power get out of our hands, right? Um, are we gonna be able to stop it when it gets to be too much? Can we handle it? Um, this was happening so fast in Japan that um, the transformation Japan mm. is over- undergoing is, is very similar to the one that Tetsuo is undergoing in the film. Um, so do you, I think you can definitely read this film as an allegory for Japan and a warning are we going to self Im- are we going to implode because um, we let we we revel in this new um, power this new place we have on the world stage but we also fear it and are we going to take it too far you know mm-hmm. and the scientist I think is probably the best example of of that warning that Otomo is sending
0: mm-hmm yeah, and 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 yet, I, I what I like about the film is that it doesn't really offer answers or direct morals or, or, no. or something. It's it's really just like a reflection of the situation. And um, some you mentioned cherry blossoms earlier, mm-hmm. and it was just uh, announced earlier this week uh, in the BBC that Kyoto's uh, cherry blossom season has has peaked earlier than it has in twelve hundred years, twelve hundred years because of the sort of changing climate yeah. and uh, encroaching endless ecological disasters. And I, this, this film isn't optimistic by any stretch, I would say. It's, it's just kind of revealing the, the truth about the fact that some humans will still be left after uh-huh. whatever whatever mm-hmm. comes yeah. um the idea of the necessary step in evolution too i am not really sure even how what to make of that on on a, on a grand scale you know if there's any way for us to evolve past something like this or if we're always going to be forcing mass extinction events on ourselves well the way <laughs> no that way. it opens oh, with wh- the mass
1: destruction and ends with one i think um implies that we are stuck in a cycle cycle of mass destruction Um, but I I think it it has a very, uh, pessimistic implication there, but there is also, um, a lot of discussion, especially in that scene where Kaneda and Kay are in, in jail. Um, and he talks about the amoeba, that's, that's probably the most important dialogue Mm -hmm. of the whole film. And, um, there is discussion about evolution, um, in that in that particular scene that also, I think, gives a slightly more optimistic take. And and you can take it however you want, because again, like you said, they're not telling us how to feel. They're not telling us the right way to interpret this. Um, But Mm -hmm. so on the one hand, you're stuck in this cycle of of, uh, destruction and rebirth. Um, And on the other hand, and, and there doesn't seem to be too much hope because certainly Neo-Tokyo didn't get it any better than Tokyo. And then the next Tokyo, whatever that's going to be called, is is implied that it won't get it right either. Right. But, um, mm-hmm. but you also have this under underlying um, theme of evolution and in evolution, you evolve to become a stronger species. You evolve to survive better. Right. So there is mm-hmm. um, a little bit of room of interpretation for optimism, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think most of the main characters are left alive at the end of the movie, right? Miraculously, I think that both the general, Tetsuo, uh, Kanada Kei, are all around. and.
2: Yeah, we're, we're led to believe that the, the espers fly into this, this singularity, this, this explosion that is occurring um, around Tetsuo. And sucking him in as like Canada sucked into the explosion. Uh Tetsuo's friend um I want to say Kyrie. I don't think that's her name. That's a Kingdom Hearts thing. Um but like <laughs> there's this girl that Tetsuo was hanging around with in the beginning. Okay. It's clearly Ket no Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like super sweet girl. She goes up to check on him. She's like the only one brave enough to go and like talk to him. Mm-hmm. He kills her, accidentally kills yeah. her. And it's just like this horrible, tragic, yeah. that broke my heart. But anyway, um, all these people yeah. are drawn into yeah. this this mass extinction event. And the Espers go in and they're like, okay, well, maybe if all three of us go in, we can help save some people. And so they we're led to believe that, yeah. that that's what they do. And they join Tetsuo and Akira in this new state of existence, um, which, I'm, which seems to just be like as living energy back to... Um, like the conversation about the amoeba evolving into the fish and the reptile and the baba ba da ba it seems like all four of them entered this new state of existence as just pure uh, energy.
0: Yeah, some people think it's like the birth of a new universe. There's different theories about what. Yeah, the he said that too.
2: He was like, "Am I witnessing the birth of a new universe?"
0: Yeah, and the the fact that Akira never really left—that his his spirit or energy, almost Doctor Manhattan style, still seems to be around. And I, I'm curious mm-hmm. about the. The kind of like melancholic, uh, I think like wabi-sabi is a really interesting Japanese concept that I in, enjoy about finding the the, the the beauty and flaws and impermanence. And I think that even exploring something like this, people who stopped the spread of um, Akira in, in American theaters further or, or who had the opportunity to back it but declined were George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. And both of them thought that this would not fly with an American audience. And I i mean, in the era of streaming, so much has changed. You know what I mean? And so we're just not living yeah. in that world and we'll never get an answer anymore. But I don't know. Nona, what do you think? Do you think it would have taken off or would it have just been so despised by, by the normies <laughs> that they would have never tried it again?
1: <laughs> you, you mean if Akira had been re- released in a way for like general audience in the U.S.? Yeah, that's, Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, I think it was, uh, I think it was set up to be a cult classic. So, um, very, Mm. very popular among a certain group of people, not necessarily widely, widely popular because now it's, it's very famous and Mm. it's very available to everyone who wants to watch it. Mm. And yet it's still a cult. I mean, it's still a pretty, um, small group of people who, uh, watch it and enjoy it. So I, I think it's a little bit too weird. You know, this this yeah. structure of the apocalyptic narrative being a little bit too different than what we're used to having an anti-hero who's not, he's not a villain or a hero. Um, um, that, that would just be a little bit too weird for a general audience in the US, but I don't know, I could be wrong. It's also a very beautiful film. It's thought provoking. It asks a lot of interesting questions, so I don't know. I could see it going either way, I guess. I
2: don't know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, honestly, if Akira was so good, if it was just so incredible, why isn't there an Akira 2? <laughs> checkmate. Check,
0: checkmate. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I'm so sick in my <laughs> Oh, my God jeez uh, so
2: so so no <laughs> so, no um just 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 a quick cap on the film just sort of like yeah. we've talked about you know the, the the influences of this film how it's how it's really become its own sort of like cult classic nowadays how i think one thing we'd like to do at the end of each of our episodes is we typically after reviewing a show we're like how did we feel at the end uh and would we recommend it to other people um, and I, I'm curious because you've already told us a little bit about how it affected you how it was sort of like an impetus for you but um and, now and you can make all of your people.
0: students watch it, so that's a great—that's a great joy of being a teacher that not everyone recognizes. Because <laughs> yeah. I've worked as a teacher as well, is the joy of making your students watch the yep. stuff you like or read the things yeah. you yep. like.
1: <laughs> um, definitely, that's one of the best things about being a teacher of anime is I can just pick which, whichever ones I want to watch or that I that I like to talk about, and I have a platform and people who have to listen to me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So you could show like Akira just in six different like topics you could like make them write six different essays about akira but they have to watch I it could. every time just to make sure they I can make themselves. them watch
1: akira every week and write a research paper on akira every week for 14 weeks if i wanted to
2: All right, Hear that guys you better be on your best behavior or <laughs> you're, you're your going to know every line of akira by the end of yeah. the month
0: Yeah so, I mean, it's pretty clear that, like, Nono would recommend this, but for, for mm-hmm. me, yes, I mean, not everybody's gonna get down with it. I was shocked because, like, I, I watched it with my, my father, uh, brother, and sister. I actually, we, we watched it on my, my birthday, like, a, a month ago. And, I was shocked that they all stayed awake through the whole thing. Um, it, just knowing who <laughs> my father and brother are, especially, shout out you lunks! <laughs> um, they were both just like my father. He's he's uh, just this this troglodyte from from uh, uh, New York, and he, he was just like, yeah, that was some uh, that was some weird stuff, buddy. I uh, yeah, <laughs> was uh there was no Spider-Man in this one, right? Just uh, a yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. man. And um, but but it's fascinating. I'm not sure if watching Akira is a pleasant experience. No, like no, I it's thi- not. It. And 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 in America, the idea of not having a pleasant time going to the movie theater is, is seen as so anathema to what it's all about. But like, mm-hmm. I. I can't think even of like a single Marvel movie that has ever been like, well, let's, you know, make sure this isn't a high roll and, you know, blast adventure. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even movies that just hit the theater have so many... Quick wisecracks and funny moments. And There are funny moments in Akira. There's a moment where, like, a disciplinarian teacher is just walking Whack. by the row of delinquents and just <laughs> boom, just knocks each one of them in the face. That's darkly funny to me. That he yeah. was just
2: my teacher. Did and every time that. he's like discipline, my discipline. Yeah.
1: My teacher did that to the fourth grade class I was in.
0: <gasps> no way. Yeah. Actually, did you get did you?
1: Um, I if you didn't bring your homework, he would um, grab your cheek and then slap with a ruler the other cheek pretty hard it, it
2: hurt um but wait was the cheek just like to get a proper transfer of energy like or was that was just, just like an extra like i'm gonna do this pinch, to you too Whack.
1: pinch plus slap but, uh, oh, he was an awesome the, teacher the double whammy. he was a really awesome teacher i don't know how you can do mm-hmm. corporal punishment and still be so popular with the students and funny and everybody loved him so I, i'm not dissing on him but um he he didn't do it to me i forgot my homework once and he slapped everybody else and he wouldn't slap me i think he he kind of had an understanding that that's not how we do things in america and i actually went home and i cried to my mom i said he slapped everyone but me why didn't he slap me because you know i obviously did not fit in um and so in any Uh little way that i could Uh possibly fit in i wanted to fit in so my mom wrote him a note and said please slap nona (laughs)
0: <laughs> Except my daughter please so you slap
1: her yeah. as hard as you slap everyone else and so then just...
0: please hit my daughter with the, the roundhouse of justice please <laughs> if you're giving out pile drivers you gotta yeah, yeah, yeah. so I did, oh, God, I did end up weirdly, getting slapped
1: yeah. eventually
0: there you go, there you go, and <laughs> <Yeah>. thank God. <laughs> so again, to Dr. Carter's students, watch out, <laughs> yes. watch out. She was raised on well, these streets, man, Yeah, so she's gonna give it. you the they Oklahoma smash, you better They are very
1: smash. lucky, are very lucky that it's virtual this semester, because. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that, I love that. Oh, so man. I, I think the, the note we wanted to end off on was, was kind of a question from earlier as we wrap up this discussion is, so many people got into anime because uh, it, it is because of Akira. It was just a fundamental sh- thing that, that just blew up the industry in a way where I think that now maybe the next generation was often inspired uh-huh. by like spirited away and things mm-hmm. like that. And so there's still many great films being made. And yet, um, the, the, uh, the guy who, um, the gentleman who has produced our uh, uh, in- intro to the um, podcast, his uh-huh. name is Akira the Don. And his whole career in DJing and being a, a rap artist actually, uh, his whole moniker was inspired by watching Akira on a little VHS tape in uh, in, in England when he was a kid. He shifted him, and it just completely changed his life. And and this is a guy who's in his forties now. And so, so many people have been inspired by this. And yet, looking at the anime industry as a whole, especially the the films that are there, it probably couldn't be more different broadly. So. When, when you look at the, the fallout of, of like what the industry looks like, what do you think happened? Anna? Oh
1: boy, well as anime gets more and more globally popular, it also gets more commercialized and the underlying the bottom line of commercialism is what sells, right uh, the l- lowest common denominator and maybe mm-hmm. that's an overly negative way to state it because mm-hmm. I I do have more recent anime that I really think are beautiful works of art. So I don't mean to be too negative on, on more recent anime, but I do believe that there is a selling to the lowest common denominator, um, effect that's happening and, and in really influencing the, the anime industry. Um, so the films that you get mm-hmm. in the late eighties, early nineties, um, can you imagine, um, Neon Genesis Evangelion and those kind of deeply psychological themes, um, uh, now I, I would have a hard time imagining uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion being produced now, or or even you know uh even the I don't pace know, of even, things
0: like neon neon genesis the first 10 episodes are just kind of like mm-hmm, plotting mm-hmm. depression it's not no? it's not
1: it's, universally likable no. and akira too like you said it is not a pleasurable experience um, necessarily to watch it if you like it and that's a big if but if you do you like it because of the all the <laughs> rich interpretations that are possible you like it because it's food for your brain and and it makes you think and it's beautiful you don't necessarily like it because it was a a good experience (laughs) of watching it um whereas that that sort of thing that sort of experience i think just doesn't sell as well
2: well Mm. well, hang on hang on here (laughs) now let's not let's not be too critical of our audiences here let's i mean like when it comes to you know depressing plots um and like you know having an unpleasant experience watching something. Look, I watched *Earwig and the Witch*. Oh my and, god! And um, I can tell you that it is still <laughs> featured every day. And so uh, I think we are really underestimating our audience here if we can watch a classic, <laughs> iconic film like *Earwig and the Witch*. I I, I mean it's clearly I, I on was way more
0: depressed by *Earwig and the Witch* than I was, than I was
2: watching. I could watch *Akira* twenty times consecutively. <laughs> And I would still have more fun than watching Earwig and the Witch once.
0: Watching Earwig and the Witch has me praying for Lord <laughs> Akira's return. To, to, to just, to just me cleanse earth. the earth and <laughs> yeah. purify my body yeah. in a sacred
2: flame. That's yeah. what I crave when I'm yeah, watching so, Earwig.
0: So so that's an example of, of, of something that's not doing so well. And still, Mr. Goro Miyazaki has not had a hit. My headcanon yeah. is that his father like is deliberately... Um, uh, like wrecking him every time or like has a whole (laughs) litany of different sabotages set up for his son it's just my headcanon I know it's probably not true but yeah I don't understand how he could. be maybe maybe like Hayao
2: Miyazaki like writes out the loose plot and then just hands it to him and says like why don't you freshen that up for me
0: why don't you just like see see what you can do with that and it's just like every time he's like (laughs) so no, no, you, we, we agree that not everything is heading in a direction that is completely palatable. Um, and, and in the kind of chase to be liked by everybody, oftentimes these things are liked by few people. Or it has become so riddled with hyper expressionism that, as Hayao Miyazaki once said, anime is a mistake. <laughs> and so, um, the, what what do you think are some things that are doing a good job of it things where you go this is a recent movie i love or this was a series that really hit for me what are some of those standouts for you that we could pass along to the audience Hmm.
1: that's a good question a more recent a more recent film that i really liked well it was 2016 i liked your name i I think i think that um makoto shinkai is really a really beautiful animator he uh he animates Especially water, but nature, water, familial relations mm-hmm. in a in a very beautiful way. I think it's you can't even compare it with Akira. It's, it's just like right, um, right. to call them both anime. It's only because they are both drawn. <laughs> there's really there's <laughs> yeah, really no yeah. other um, connection there. Um, but you know, there are, I I like all of Shinkai's works. I, I I wasn't a huge fan of his most recent one. The one about the, um, the weather, what, what is it in English? The weather,
0: weathering weathering with
1: you. Yes. I wasn't a huge fan of that. Um, talk about commercialism on steroids. Have you guys seen that?
0: I haven't. I have, and, and I totally agree that the, the plots are kind of the weak elements there. And even, even your name is, um, uh, gorgeous to look at. It's one of the shiniest things I yeah. ever do not see, but like it's very saccharine in its approach mm. to that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So, yes. so I'm, I'm so sorry. There was something that you just, uh, hit on with your name. Um, I'm, t- I'm totally blanking out the thing that came into my head. This is definitely something I'm going to cut out any other. <laughs> questions <laughs> no I, weathering
1: I, weathering with you just just so you guys know yeah. is like a big commercial it's it's just product yeah. placement
2: oh, for a no. solid hour and 30
1: minutes so whatever enjoyment you get from the plot which i think isn't overdone
2: I'm just watch cable you
1: kind of overdone it's like she, he, he takes a a bite of a mcdonald's uh Big Mac and says it's the best meal I've ever had. It's like, Oh my god! How much did McDonald's pay you to yeah, do that? Yeah, 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 but yeah. It's, it's not just that oh. you you get product. It's just product placement, product placement, and that's kind mm-hmm. of indicative of of the industry, the way that the industry has gone. It's it's money making, um, commercialism. Um, not to say that there's not good stuff out there, but I just that example popped up in my mind as a as a pretty good example of what I'm talking about.
0: Okay. okay.
2: That's good. I, I mean, it's something that we are definitely looking into. We really want to like find new art, new series to watch, new manga to read. Um, because I can, I can only watch Food Wars on repeat so many times. <laughs> um,
0: <God>. so. <laughs> but, but it's hard because our audiences will grow to, audience will grow to the expectations that you set for them. Mm-hmm. And if you don't expect more from your art, you'll kind of keep, keep, it's it's not going to be made better. It's not going to be made yeah. more interesting unless you yourself kind of have some higher standards yeah. for this stuff. And you mentioned that they're both drawn before, then that's their main similarity. This is actually maybe something to leave off on or, or we'll include it as a bonus question here. But we, our last episode was talking about the first animations ever in Japan. So mm. from the kind of like clip art days and the, the initial like little looping animation that was found in like 1917, all the way to, to Astro Boy talking about early anime. Uh-huh what is anime
1: that is a really good question um and it's actually how i opened my class what is anime um you can't it's it's a very hard question to ask some people would say it's mm-hmm. japanese animation but then you have Tekkonkinkreet, which if you haven't seen it that's a fantastic film um and it's directed by michael arias who's american he, uh japanese uh studio japanese uh directed in Japan, everything about it is Japanese except for the ethnicity of the, the director was American. So um, you yeah. also, I'll show a video clip of something that looks like anime, this nebulous um, thing called anime, yeah. and I'll say, is this anime? And students will all say yes, because, you know, it's a character, typical big eyes, it looks really Japanese anime, it's, it's made in the uh, United Arab Emirates. So, um, is mm. anime a style? Is it something you look at and you say, "Oh yeah, that looks like anime," as opposed to Disney, for example? There, there's different artistic mm. styles, or is anime um, is anime defined by its Japaneseness? Um, is anime Japanese animation? Now, what if um, you know uh, we have the super flat animation it doesn't look at all like anime? Um, but it's from Japan, so mm. if you want to take that—that um, definition—is super flat anime, you know. The, and and it just gets very uh, complicated to define what is anime. I, I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. Is my so, the short answer to what I'm I'm trying to say?
0: No, good. No, that was ours as well.
2: Yeah. No. 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 That's that's about what we thought. Which is why I'm so excited for us to uh, join your next lecture uh for for your students i'm i'm really excited pax has a great uh preamble for the students when we open up the class with you um,
0: right about it. Hey, everybody, this is why Vegeta is a trans mask icon. This is why G fuel must be the core of your diet. Yes, we're over today. well,
1: next mm-hmm. Monday we are talking. I'm showing End of Evangelion, the movie, and we're talking about oh. the Evangelion
0: series. So, if you
1: guys want to come to class, you're welcome to join me. Oh,
0: my goodness! Oh, my goodness! Thank it, you it so much. Trippy.
1: It will be very trippy.
0: We
2: really can like jump in. <laughs> Oh, sure. It's like, yeah. It's like
1: Christmas. Oh, this is crazy. I'm
0: doing yeah. it. Oh, I'm yeah, so me too. Okay, excited. Well, and so, and so with that, I, I already feel like we've been brought to school today by, by you, Dr. Absolutely. Carter. This has been fantastic. And I think that um, this, more than anything, shows why anime, if, if you're a young kid and all you're watching is My Hero and ReZero and, well, those both rhymed. <laughs> and some, mm. of these, some of these recent shows, um, it's, there there's so much to love about it and hal's definition for anime last time was you know it's just something that sparks joy inside me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And i think that that's you know as, as close as good an answer as any but um this just goes to show why there are people why it's worth having a class on mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. why it's worth teaching and examining and i think that no no animated art form really explores these different just dreamscapes and possibilities and and the the pure just gorgeous experimentation of animation like anime Mm -hmm. and specifically akira and that's why i think Mm -hmm. that this episode has been such a foundation-shaking thing for me to get to talk about. I mean, there are things we haven't even touched on. Like, we didn't touch on Japanese collectivism or, like, mm-hmm. the... T- I didn't
1: even get to talk about the
2: Tokyo Olympics. Oh, right. That was, like, oh, a main plot point. Yes. And now it
0: might be getting... <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. no. it might be getting canceled it's again. Okay. Oh, there's just, no. There's so much. Yeah. But, Dr. Carter, you know, if, if we got to, if we can, have you on again for something yes, like Paranoia please. Agent or just yes. to talk. But, like, this has been... Unbelievable. I know Unreal. people are going to love it.
1: Well, thank you guys so much for inviting me. I, I had a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. This you. was
2: such a treat for us. And as soon as we, <laughs> as soon as we, you know, knew this was a possibility, we freaked out. And yeah. so, um, <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much, Nona, for your time, for your yes. expertise and for sharing a little bit of your life with us. You know, we, we, we loved you, it yeah. and we know that everyone who listens is going to absolutely love it. So mm-hmm. thank you. And I will definitely be seeing you on Monday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, email me for the link, for the class link.
2: I will, thank will you. Will do. Okay. Um, so I, I think that's a good time to uh, bring us all out. Um, Absolutely. Okay. Everyone, thank you all so much for listening and yeah, joining us thank today. thank you. Uh, if you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or review us on your favorite podcasting app. It really does make a difference and every review counts. And we'll make sure to give you a shout out on the air to show our appreciation. Again, Nona, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. And with that- Thank you
1: so much for having me.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And with that, I'm going to say, I'm Hal. I'm Pax. And we're the Bro Takus. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you
0: later. See you later, y'all.